My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Dave Mayer, business ethics professor at the University of Michigan, is an award-winning researcher and highly sought-after teacher and speaker. He has published over 60 articles and book chapters in leading management and psychology journals. He's a regular contributor to the Harvard Business Review and Fast Company, and his research and ideas have been covered in Bloomberg, Business Insider, CNBC, Forbes, Fortune, Huffington Post, LA Times, Newsweek, NPR, The Atlantic, The Wall Street Journal, and The Washington Post, among others. Dave earned a BA in psychology from UC Davis and a PhD in organizational psychology from the University of Maryland. I hope you enjoy learning from Dave Mayer today, because I always do. Dave, it's so great connecting again today. I don't think I've ever told you this, but the very first recruiting letter I got when I was in high school was from Lloyd Carr at Michigan. Mm. Ten years later, I was admitted to Michigan Law School and all but accepted, all but enrolled, basically, and, and then last minute, I ended up going to Stanford. Ten years after that, I interviewed with you for a job at the University of Michigan. So although I've never attended Michigan or worked at Michigan, I still feel a kinship uh, to all Michigan people and you. So again, it's great to reconnect. So we almost had you. So many times. And my wife and I, and what's funny too, is I ended up getting a job at Notre Dame. And the very first football game we went to at Notre Dame was against Michigan. There you go. And we sat right next to the band and the Michigan fight song is my most favorite fight song. So I, I, I do feel connected. Well, it's so great to talk with you again today. You've already had a, a, a great career at Michigan, and I know you still have a ton of great production ahead of you. So as you think back on what you've learned, what would you most like to pass on to others? Yeah. Uh, well, thanks a lot for having me, Nate. Uh, I, it's been fun to to see all the Nate's notes and, and look at, it, at all that you've done uh, so far with the podcast. I guess when I think about this question, I, I tend to think about just more broadly what it means to, to lead a good life. Uh, and I've come to believe it's really three things and I'll, I'll spend a little bit of time with that and then then pass it back to you. But I think about it as, as being good, feeling good and doing good. Uh, and so I'll take a quick step back and just explain kind of how I got to that spot. Uh, so, so briefly, uh, about seven years ago, about a month short of my 40th birthday, um, I got a call that you don't want to get from your doctor. Um, they said, Dave, the, the test results are back and, and you have testicular cancer. Um, and so it was really like quite, quite a blow and a surprise. So it's not something I was anticipating. Um, fortunately, we caught it early. I was able to, to have surgery. Um, you know, and I've been healthy since. So it hasn't had that type of monster long-term effect um, on my life. But the experience, I think, coupled with with the big 4-0 started to make me think more about things um, and really think about my kids, you know, the much the same way that your kids were an impetus for the thinking about the podcast. Um, so I currently have a 14-year-old daughter and a 10-year-old son. And I really thought to myself, well, what do I want for my kids? And when I boiled it down, I want them to be good, meaning, you know, to be effective, to have the right habits, to be able to manage their time and attention, to regulate their behavior, to work hard, to, you know, have toughness, basically to achieve whatever goals they want. I also want them to feel good. I want them to be mentally and physically healthy. Um, 
connected to other people, experience joy, even though life can have many challenges. Uh, and the last part is about doing good, to, to live a meaningful life, to do something that positively impacts the world. Uh, in Judaism, we talk about this Hebrew term called tikkun olam, which means to repair the world. And so to have that type of a, a mindset. And I teach a class here at, at Michigan Ross at the at the Ross School of Business at University of Michigan uh, that that really uses that framework. That's a lot of fun. Um, so I'm happy to spend a, you know a couple of minutes on on each of these, but wanted to see if you had just any any reactions or thoughts before I keep going. Well, I, I just think it's such an impressive framework, and you're probably going to talk about this. And so I don't I don't I'm hesitant to like steal your thunder, but you sent me an email this morning. <laughs> with these topics. So maybe you could just jump in and talk about how long you've been thinking about this framework and how Nate's notes uh, can fit into this framework as well. Because I was just yeah. so impressed. Quick plug, check out Nate's notes. Uh, <laughs> I, I went through in some detail and uh, it was a fun exercise for me. I was just curious what type of advice folks were giving. Um, and And I do think these are broad topics. And so in general, you know, it, was, it wasn't difficult to fit the different pieces of advice into these, these three categories. So I guess on some level, it's something I've thought about for a long time. A lot of, a lot of folks who have a positive psychology type bend, I think they focus on the feeling good part a lot. Um, so like, how do I, how am I improve on happiness, things like that, which is really important. I think ethics folks like like us probably focus more on that last one about about doing good. Um, I think society in general is probably in the more in the how to you know be good and be effective. There are when I looked through all the Nate's notes, there were far more things about how to be effective than yeah. to be good than anything else. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to mention a little bit on each one of those. Yeah, why don't you go through? Because I was just so impressed. I've, I've, I now have this beautiful word document with these categories and all of the different episodes and lessons categorized accordingly. So yeah, why don't why don't you spend some time on each? Okay, sounds great. Uh, so have you when I when I think about being good, have you heard that story about like the the three jars and the rocks and the sand? Have you heard of that analogy? Um, I, there's one I'm thinking of, but why don't you just go ahead with it? Okay. Um, so the idea is that you know there's a teacher who has a jar. Um, fills it up with rocks, um, and then asks the class, she says, is there, uh, could I fit anything else in here? And the class says, no. Uh, and then she takes some pebbles out and puts them into the jar and they they fall down. And then they realize, yeah, like a lot more could go in there. And then she says, is that all that could go in there? And they said, yeah, it's full now. And then she takes sand and pours the sand in and it flows all the way through. And so you've got sand and pebbles and rocks. And the idea is it's a metaphor around, around time. The, the rocks or the big rocks being the things that matter most to you. And the idea that if we do things around uh, pebbles or sand, you know, emails or many, many meetings or what have you, then we don't have time for the bigger rocks. And so when I think about being good and when I when I teach and I work with students and executives on this topic, I really try to get folks to think about what is the rock that matters the most. And I would say 
I could choose, it could be in different domains of life. I would say for a work-related rock, um, I feel like the single biggest factor for me um, is, is really about a morning routine. Uh, like some of your other guests mentioned, the idea of deep work. So really focused one or two hours um, on something that takes a lot of cognitive effort. Uh, I think that that's something that most people don't do. And I know that when I do that, my day feels so much better. Uh, it's interesting because when I ask students or, or business leaders about this topic, should I start my day with something easy and kind of work my way up? Or should I start with the hardest thing of the day? About two thirds of the group generally says, start easy and, and then build some momentum. And the science on this actually tells us to that, that phrase, eat that frog. So to actually get started on the hardest thing first, because otherwise, we just won't get to it. Uh, so it's not something I'm I'm perfect at, but I know my day goes a lot better when I've got the rock, you know, the the different rocks in my mind and my work-related rock. I'm trying to tackle when I have my most energy, which for me is usually first thing in the morning. Do, do you have a peak time where you like that's when you get your real stuff done? A hundred percent agree with you that, for example, meditation for me is is Yep. Kind of the, I try to make that the foundation of every day, kind of religious meditation, big picture thinking, how's my life. And when I was a kid, I would just kind of fit it in wherever. When I went to uh, my very first semester of college, I decided to do it first thing, take 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And what I found is it completely changed the course of my day. I had a clearer mind. I was more focused in high school. I was like a, I was like a B, B plus student. Get, get some A's, mostly, you know, a lot of B's, some C's. Cause I couldn't, I didn't, I couldn't stay focused. Mm -hmm. And so when I, this first semester of college, I shifted that where I started just like meditating first. And it was just incredible to me. Like I could stay focused and I, I wouldn't get distracted. Uh, and then the other thing that it made me think of is I had this football coach at BYU, Robert and I offensive coordinator, and his, his whole thing was start fast, start fast. So, you know, every practice session, you start fast, every, you know, so that when kickoff happens, you start fast, you don't ease into it. Oh, and so yeah. what we would do, most football practices are structured, you know, you warm up, you do some individual drills, then maybe you do some one-on-ones and you're building towards the last kind of 30 minutes where it's going to be a team, you know, scrimmage. So he flipped it. First thing was you get to practice and you do a team drill right away to practice starting fast. So I, I love this idea of eat the frog. I don't know that I've heard that phrase, Yeah. Uh, but I, I am, I am trying to do this as well now with my research where I do the meditation piece first, and then I try to do the research first. I'm not, I need to get better at it, knock that out. And then whatever happens the rest of the day, it's, it's a success. Yeah. It's so hard to, to not like dive right into email or, or something else, but like that keystone habit around like meditation, like I think knowing the one or two or three things that you have to do in your day for the day to, to really work and just, you know, to prioritize it. Um, I think that's a biggie. And it's so hard to not just pick up our phone, you know, like first thing in the morning, like just reach for it. And I, I'm trying to train myself like, no, put that off for 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. It's interesting. I was teaching an executive education and we have, so we have a bunch of business leaders in the room and the CEO uh, was in the room as well. We were talking about these topics and I asked, the, um, does anyone in the room um, not sleep with your phone in your room? And the only person who said yes was the CEO. 
It's right. like I turn off my phone at nine. I put it in a different room. You know, I hang out with my wife for a little bit and then, you know, I'm ready for bed. I should just, this makes me want to do that. Just put the phone in a different room. I was listening to something the other day and they're like, look, your phone has the collective knowledge and wisdom of every past generation. Of mm. course we want to go for it. Like it's it's uh -huh. understandable that we want to go for it. So making it difficult to pick up my phone is, is probably the best strategy rather than relying on my own willpower to not access, you know, the, the greatest connective network in the history of humanity. For sure. It's so tempting. So I think like the, the idea of that from the habits research around structuring your environment rather than willpower is a, I mean, that's a biggie. Yeah. All right. Let me, wanted me to jump to this next one around. Yeah, sure. Cool. So uh, I hear this a lot, you know, from like friends and undergraduates and MBA students and doctoral students and, and business leaders. They'll often say, well, once I get done with this, then I'll, I'll be, you know, happier, or I'll be able to start exercising more, being healthier, you know, fill in the blank, like when I'm done recruiting for a job or at the end of the semester, or once my relationship with a certain person um, improves. And I'm clearly sometimes are more stressful than others. But I think on average, folks who, who push off that happiness, um, and overall well-being to the future, oftentimes just don't get to it. Uh, Marshall Goldsmith is a, a great executive coach. He, he has this idea around be happy now. Uh, and I'll add a little part. I would say be happy and healthy now. Um, yeah. And I think that's been a tough one for me to learn, actually. I think oftentimes people who are are motivated and, and sort of driven will go from one thing to the next to the to the next without actually like stopping to to celebrate that. And uh I think that that is, it's important to, for me, it was a big realization to say at every life stage, there are parts that are horrible and parts that are amazing, you know, and it's true at every life stage. Um, and so I think like a lot of your former guests, I think putting relationships first is a, is a great start. Some of that isn't always natural for me. So I actually have to really structure my day and really think about it to make sure I'm incorporating, you know, wellness and connection uh, to make sure that I'm actually feeling better at the end of the day and over the course of a, a week or a month. I love that phrase, be happy now and healthy now. And as you were talking, it makes me think that so much of feeling good is the outcome of being good, doing good. So yeah. I, I see these all, you know, they're correlated, certainly. Um, one of my favorite lines from uh, ancient texts is you know, people are writing, they say our lives passed as if it were a dream. Mm -hmm. And the older I get, the more I feel like that, you know, I'm plus 40, I'm, I'm halfway out, probably, if that, <laughs> you know, maybe more. And if I wait to be happy, like, you know, when am, when am I going to be happy? And so I just think I, I love this. Be happy and healthy now that you added. So we don't want to exercise, but the outcome of exercising is is that helps us feel good. And it can be hard to prioritize the personal relationships, but the outcome of that is we're going to feel a lot better and healthier. Yeah. I mean, these three goods are are all interconnected. So usually if we do one, you know, we're more effective in some way. We just sort of feel our mood is a little bit better. 
you know, maybe we have more capacity to then do things that benefit others. So they are, they're definitely connected. And I'm also making these things sound like they're easier than they are. It's like, it's not such profound advice around try to be happy or have a good morning routine. It's it's just that it's, it's actually for most people, it's sort of challenging to do. And then without mindfully thinking about and structuring your day, those things can just you know, fall through the cracks. I was listening to a talk by Admiral McRaven a few weeks ago. Admiral McRaven, yeah. military leader that oversaw the raid where they killed Osama bin Laden and also the raid that captured Saddam Hussein. And he was giving an, just an excellent talk on leadership. And he said, leadership is simple, but it's hard. And <laughs> to, that's the point, right? Like, yeah. yeah, these things are simple. The The point of this podcast, simple, practical, underappreciated. But just because something is simple doesn't mean it's easy. Yeah, just that's a great point. It's simple, but it's hard. Yeah. And does he talk also about making his bed? Is he yeah, he's the, bed? he's the one. Yeah, he's got that viral <laughs> yep, viral commencement address at the University of Texas where he said, yep, make your bed because uh, then you've at least done one good thing in the morning. And if you have a crappy day, you come home, at least your bed is made. <laughs> I have a lot of people who who have that on their list that they, you know, that they need to do in their day to get started off right. Yeah, yeah. Great lesson from him. Yep. And very simple. <laughs> um, all right. Last one here around in do around doing good. I have this one exercise I like to do in class, and I'll I'll use like an online, like a tool where people can uh provide some answers without the rest of the class seeing. And so uh first I'll ask them about three attributes that best describe uh, a role model of yours. Uh Three things that you want to be said about you at your eulogy. Maybe you do something like this in your ethics class. Um, and then third, um, and there's a list of things you could improve on, but what are the, what do you want to work on to improve yourself the most? And so, you know, not surprisingly, um, the descriptions of the mentors or, or role models and what folks want to have said about them at the end of their lives, they're almost identical. Um, they consist almost exclusively of moral words. They say things like kind, caring, compassionate, honest, you know, family-oriented. Uh, and so in my mind, what they're telling us is that these are the qualities that people actually care about the most. Interestingly, when I ask them about what they want to work on, uh, almost all of them focus on being good or like, how am I going to be more effective or more, more assertive or more creative? or feeling good? How do I reduce anxiety or reduce depression uh, so that my mood is more stable? Um, and there's recent research on this that looks across a variety of different studies and samples and finds a very similar finding. And I found this in every single group I've ever worked with that it's the exact same pattern that moral words working on becoming a better person, although people say it's the most important thing to them, tends to be a thing that that they don't work on. Uh, and so I don't know if it's a society has tricked us or, or nudged us in a particular direction, um, but I'm always reminded of, of Aristotle and thinking about, you know, thinking about virtues as we can improve those the same way um, we think about any other habits. Uh, and like you said, you know, we don't know how much time we have. We have a limited amount of time. Um, and so it's good that we feel good about ourselves as moral people. And also, you know, we're not done muffins yet. And we can all get better in this space. 
Um, and so that's what I, I try to remember for myself and then, you know, impart that when I'm I'm working with different groups. So I do something similar in my class, but I really like these questions and I, I'm going to try to incorporate them um, because we know that when we think about how we should behave, we think differently than when we suggest, you know, for how like our friends should behave. So for example, Peter Atia, he's this uh, doctor that's sure. become quite famous right now. And he was just beating himself up so much. He he had this voice inside him. It was, he called it the inner Bobby Knight, you know, and you're probably familiar with this where he would just, he was so ruthless to himself and it was, it was destroying him Yeah. and his therapist. So he, he checked into rehab and they're like, look, when you feel this inner Bobby Knight talking to you and criticizing you and saying the most horrible, terrible things to yourself, imagine uh, what a friend would say to you and then write that down. And, and he was so much more kind to himself when he adopted the perspective as his friend. And so I, I like this question of uh, not so much like, what do you want to become, but what do you admire in your role models? And mm -hmm. maybe it helps us think with a slightly different perspective because we're, we're prone to miswant. We're prone to want and chase things that don't give us value. The, the other thing in my class, when I, I do something similar, so many of them will just say, you know, like, what do you want out of life? It's like, I want to make a lot of money and retire in 20 years and travel the world. It's like, okay, that's fine. But if, you know, if, if you're going to sacrifice all your health and your happiness now to get 20 years and then try to be happy and travel the world, it's not going to, you know, I, I'm afraid it's, it's, it's a fool's trade. I mean, if happiness is a habit and, you know, meaning is a habit, then I think the idea that we'll just pick that up in 20 years feels less likely, you know? Yeah. I really like that. Ha make happiness and meaning a habit. Yeah. And I think Peter, uh, Peter Atia, I like follow him some too. And I was, I was really sort of impressed by his vulnerability around talking about that issue um, and seemed like someone so successful that it does, as we think about, you know, how do we improve on anything and particularly like in a moral domain, we, we do have to balance like self-acceptance with, with growth and that balance is, I think is very challenging. We don't want to beat ourselves up because we're not going to be perfect in all these ways. And yet, um, you know, there's space to get better. Well, this uh, idea of balance is kind of the one of the research questions I'm most focused on right now and trying to produce something interesting and helpful there. So I'll, I'll keep you posted on that. I, yeah, reach, reach out about it. Yeah, I, I, I well, I, I know you're, you're great at categorizing things and, and thinking big picture. So I, I probably will take you up on that. Well, I, I just love this framework, Dave, and, and it's so helpful to me. And this is why I do the podcast to be able to think about these things and interviewing people and learning from them has just impacted my life for so much good. Uh, any, yeah. Anything you'd like to wrap up with as, as we shut down here? No, I just think your, your kids will appreciate this. As my kids head into teen years, I realize they might not appreciate anything for, you know, another decade or two, but at some point they will, they will come back to this and, uh, and I think really value what you're trying to do for them. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's the hope someday it will be valuable. <laughs> I just really appreciate your time, your expertise. It's so great to connect again, Dave. So thanks so much. Sure. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickles and Dimes. I love the framework that Dave shared today for how to live a good life. First, to be good, fill our mornings with rocks, the most important hard things, and then we can fill in the rest of our day with pebbles and sand. Second, to feel good, be happy and healthy now. 
Don't keep pushing off happiness to the future because the happiness may never come. Every stage of life can be celebrated, and friendships and relationships should also be celebrated along the way. Third, to do good, think about the three attributes that best describe your role model and then strive to follow their example. Don't get so caught up in trying to be good that you forget to do good. In summary, be good, feel good, do good. A simple idea for a good life. Please take it seriously. Nate Nickel here with three requests and one suggestion. First, if you would like a quick summary of these lessons delivered to your inbox, sign up for Nate's notes at natenickel.com. Second, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. Third, if you give this podcast a five-star review on Apple iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And now a suggestion. If you're like me and want to remember all of the lessons shared in previous episodes, visit the list of lessons page on my website, natenickel.com, to see all of the lessons that previous guests have shared. Thanks for your support.